You are listening to the Hill City Church Podcast. Our mission is to become and make disciples who walk with God, connect with people, and impact the world. Morning, church. My name is Josh. I'm the lead pastor here. And today we are continuing our teaching series. We're almost through the entire Sermon on the Mount. We've been going through this summer and we're calling it Summer on the Mount. And I'm so excited for our teaching today. We'll be in Matthew 7. If you have a Bible, you can go ahead and open up. We'll be in our text in just a moment. It's a familiar Bible passage. Ask and it will be given to you. And for many of us in our prayer lives, we know that prayer is much more than just asking God for things, and yet it's not less than that. Uh, There are many different kinds of prayer, but uh, perhaps the most basic or maybe even the earliest prayer that we pray in our faith journey is simply the word help. Prayer is this acknowledgement that we need God's help. And as we go through and pray many prayers, Uh, We ask God for a lot of things, and in some ways you would expect for us to be experts in asking God for things, and yet there are some things we run into where we still have problems when it comes to asking God. Uh, I want to just give you some questions. Maybe these are things that you yourself have wrestled with. We wrestled the question, does prayer even work? I mean, doesn't God already know our needs before we ask them? And if that's the case, why do we even need to ask him? He should know how to answer our prayers before we pray. Is prayer really necessary? I mean, think about all the people in the world who don't pray, and they still enjoy their daily bread and then some. You ever wondered that? Right? What about them? How, how is it that they're still experiencing, at least on the external level, a good life, and yet they're not praying, they're not dependent on God? And then there's the age-old question of unanswered prayer. I've prayed the same thing day after day, and sometimes, if we're honest, year after year, and God, it doesn't seem like, has done anything. Am I just wasting my breath in prayer? And uh, for many of us, we can easily give up in prayer. We can wrestle with these doubts, and it'll cause us not to go to God in prayer. Or maybe, in some cases, it'll even be a hindrance in our relationship, in our walk with God. Now, we're going to deal with those kind of tensions today in our teaching text on prayer from the Sermon on the Mount. But before we even jump in, I just want to give you one simple truth to help quiet these doubts that in our questioning minds, all right? Here, here's the simple truth. God asks us to ask him. God asks us to ask him. And so when we're dealing with doubt, we're dealing with tensions, we're wrestling through all of these sorts of situations, at the end of the day, I mean, there's, there's your answer. Don't give up on prayer because God asks us to ask him. He invites us to pray. And perhaps you would do things differently if you were God. But guess what? You're not God. And for whatever reason, the almighty God of the universe, in his, in his incredible wisdom and knowledge, he chooses to let us have a voice and to share with him. Uh, Richard Foster wrote a great book on prayer, and this is what he says. Do you know why the mighty God of the universe chooses to answer our prayer? It is because his children ask. 
God delights in our asking. He is pleased in our asking, and his heart is warmed by our asking. And perhaps one of the most important things for us to remember is the the one who we are talking to when we pray. And God is a good father, and he wants us to go to him in prayer. And so not to minimize, unanswered prayer is a great problem. But I'll tell you a problem worse than unanswered prayer is unasked prayer. And so don't give up. Persevere. Today, we're going to learn straight from Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount how we should pray. If you're there in Matthew 7, let's jump into our text. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be Open. These are famous words from Jesus, and if we're not careful, we will overinterpret or overapply them. Jesus is using uh, a literary device called stacking, where he essentially is making the same point three separate times. You see that? Ask, seek, knock. And he's trying to really teach us that we should ask God for things in prayer. Now, in the original Greek, these three verbs are are present imperatives. What that means is essentially we translate them ask, seek, knock, but more accurately, it's keep asking, keep seeking, keep knocking. Jesus anticipates that prayer is a lifelong endeavor, not a one and done. This is what Paul references when he's talking about, uh, talking about prayer. And he says, pray without ceasing. That doesn't mean that you're praying every second of every minute, of every hour, of every day. But what it means is prayer is this lifelong relationship of communicating with God. And while Jesus uses similar terms, I think there's something different that we can learn from each one. So the first uh, term that Jesus uses is ask. So we're going to keep Asking, I want to ask you this question. Do you realize your need of God? Do you realize that you need God? I think one of the essential ingredients for prayer is humility. Is humility. I mean, it's easy to pray for your daily bread when you're hungry. It's more difficult to pray for your daily bread when your fridge or your pantry is full of food because we just forget Right? We forget that we actually need God in any kind of real dependent way. It's easy to pray for forgiveness when you're confronted face to face with your own guilt, your shame, and your own sin. But it's really, it's really difficult to remember to pray for forgiveness when you feel pretty righteous. I volunteered at church, right? I went to two services on Sunday. Like, when, you, when you do good things, it's difficult to remember your, our utter need of dependence on God. Significantly, Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount, his opening line of the Sermon on the Mount. If you remember way back in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And I think that should inform our entire relationship with God, but certainly our relationship with God through prayer. We don't show up to some business table with God in prayer, ready to negotiate terms. And yet that's somehow how, that's sometimes our posture, isn't it? Well, God, this is what I have to bring to the table. And if I do, if you do this for me, then I'll do this for you. And we kind of have this bargaining chip system with God. And what Jesus teaches us from line one of the Sermon on the Mount is we don't come to God with anything on the table. We approach God as beggars. 
in desperate need of his help. Blessed are the the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who have poverty of spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that's like number one essential ingredient for prayer is humility. You have to be willing to acknowledge that you need God. You need God's help. So that's what we learned from Jesus's line, to keep asking. The next one is to keep seeking. Let me ask you this. What are you looking for in life? Everyone's looking for something in life. We live in a land characterized by life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You realize that's like uniquely characteristic of America. This American dream is every person should be able to seek whatever will make them happy, to run after it, to pursue it, to chase down their own individual happiness. And I just want to ask you, are you seeking God? Are you seeking God? Do you desire a deeper relationship with God? This idea to seek and you shall find, it really implies this idea of action. I mean, think of that game hide and seek. When you close your eyes, everyone hides, and you you count to 10, you get to 10, and you don't say, ready or not, I'm gonna sit here and wait. (laughs) What does it mean to seek? To go out and find. There's action implied, and, and this is really important in the way that we pray. Because sometimes we pray and we ask God to do something and and perhaps God is giving us a step to take where we partner with him in doing something. There are some prayers that we pray waiting around for an answer that God is actually inviting us to be part of the answer. This 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 is fundamental to what it means to walk by the Holy Spirit. Those who live by the Spirit, Paul says in Galatians 5.25, must keep in step with the Holy Spirit. So as you pray, and as you keep seeking God's will, the Holy Spirit is going to keep showing you steps to take. And he's inviting you to keep in step with those action steps. So we're going to keep asking, we're going to keep seeking, and the third one, we're going to keep knocking. How easily do you give up? You can think about this in prayer, but you can think about this in other aspects of life in general. Are you someone who is quick to throw in the towel? Are you someone who is maybe stubborn, resilient, perseverant? You have this persistence about you. I think about uh, a parallel to this teaching from Matthew chapter 7 is found in Luke chapter 11. And you can read this later. Right before Jesus gets to the the same teaching, the same text that we're looking at in Luke 11, he tells a parable in Luke 11. And it's the parable of the friend at midnight. Maybe you're familiar with this short story from Jesus. If not, let me just paraphrase for you. So uh, there's there's this man, and he has an unexpected house guest. And especially in the ancient world, hospitality was such a huge deal. You were reliant on uh, the, the kindness of others, right? If you were to go on a trip, there wasn't like Airbnb. It wasn't like you hit the app and you're good to go. And uh, so this, this man has a friend show up and he, d- he has a pantry that's empty. He doesn't have any food on hand. And so he goes to his neighbor at midnight. And what does he do? Knocks on the door. And the neighbor is not having it, which, by the way, like modern, like I wouldn't have it either. Like you ring my doorbell at midnight, my, you wake up my dogs, my dogs wake up my kids. It's a bad chain reaction you just don't want to do. And uh, so he knocks on the door, and the friend says, the neighbor says, go away, go away. And this, this guy, he's like, no, I, I know you've got loaves of bread in your pantry. 
He's like knocking on the door, beating on the door. And finally, so in this short story, Jesus says, because of this man's impudence, which is essentially his outrageous boldness, the man finally gets out of bed. Here's your bread. Closes the door, right? And that's the story. And that is Jesus teaching us how to pray, to keep knocking, to keep going to God, to not easily give up in prayer. Do you realize that God may not be saying no if he hasn't answered your prayer yet? He may be saying keep knocking. Because one of the things that that is God's priorities in our relationship with him is to help grow our faith, to deepen our faith, to grow our what's called faithfulness, to not turn to all these other options, but to, to go to God and to let him know that you are my only hope. And so that's something that we're going to receive when we continue to be persistent in prayer is not only will we get our request, but we'll get maybe the thing that we weren't asking for, but God knows we need it all along, which is a deeper faithfulness to him. So what are we going to do, church? We're going to keep asking, we're going to keep seeking, and we're going to keep knocking. That's Jesus' instructions on how we should pray. Now, let me just ask this question. Is Jesus teaching us that prayer is a blank check to get whatever you want from God? And this is why we have to be really careful not over-interpreting Matthew chapter 7 here, because you'll hear people use that. Jesus said, ask, and you will receive, as if it's this kind of blank check, open-ended, unconditional promise. This is what John Stott says uh, about that interpretation. He says this, it is absurd to suppose that the promise, ask and it shall be given to you, is an absolute pledge with no strings attached. And the reason why John Stott believes that is because he's read the rest of the Bible. (laughs) It's very difficult to arrive at this conclusion that God is going to answer every single one of your prayers whenever you ask it, or even if you're persistent about asking, because the Bible has a deep and rich theology of prayer. And what I want to do is I want us to take a moment and I want to actually go through seven different, what John Stock calls strings, or for me, just conditions, ways that Jesus also teaches us to pray in this way. If you're taking notes, you can write down a list of one through seven. And essentially, I'm not giving you these seven things. Again, it's probably not an exhaustive list. These are just the first seven that I could come up with. Uh, there, there may be other ways that we are taught to pray in the New Testament. But essentially, what I hope to do is not to give you a checklist Well, I did all the seven things Josh told me to do, and God still didn't answer my prayer. You know, heretic. No. Um, But to, to teach us how to ask. The way that you approach God in prayer matters. This is something we don't always consider. Let me, let me explain to you this illustration. I've got three young kids at home, uh, and little kids are really good at asking for things. Did you know that? Good at it in the sense that you don't have to teach a child to ask you for something. They will just do it. They'll just do it naturally. But they don't always know the proper way to ask you for something. So let's give this example of uh, one of the things that my daughters will often ask me for is yogurt. And there may be a snack, but, you know, we got the Greek yogurt, it's healthy or whatever, right? And uh, they'll ask me for yogurt, but the way that they ask me is they might be kicking and screaming because they're a little hangry, okay? They've got the hunger angry. And uh, they'll be like, Dad, give me the yogurt. And I'm like, whoa, all right? Or maybe they're really sad about it. And they're, they're in tears. They're like, I just want a yogurt. Do you even love me, right? And they'll kind of go to me. And here's the thing. 
They're doing the right thing in asking me for yogurt. They're asking me for the right thing. It's like a healthy snack. It's not even like a chocolate bar or something. And it's something I already want to give them. Do you see that? But in my better parent moments, what I would do, this is like throwing yogurt across the room. In my better parenting moments, I will recognize that at some point they need to grow out of the way that they're asking for that. Do you see that? So in my better parenting days, I'll look my daughters in the eye and I'll say, listen, I really want to give you a yogurt, but here's what I need you to do. Let's stop and ask me the right way. And they know exactly what that means, by the way, because I've taught them how to ask me the right way. And it doesn't always work the first time. Sometimes it's like, are you kidding? You're going to, you know, it's like, whatever. It's like, okay, okay, let's slow down, calm down. I re- I, I'm going to give you a yogurt, but I really just need you to ask me the right way. And, uh, and sometimes my daughters will look at me and they say, dad, could I please have a yogurt? I'm like, of course you can have a yogurt. Here's your yogurt, right? For us, as silly as that illustration seems, we actually do need to be taught how to ask God the right way. And it's really easy for us to build an entire theology of prayer on God being unfair in not giving me what I asked him for and not giving it to me the way that I asked him to give it to me and not giving it to me when I asked him. Does that make sense? And so we need to be taught to mature from our immature ways of asking God for things. So here's just seven Okay, seven conditions uh, that we should try to fulfill when we ask God for things. And we're going to move really quickly through these. Number one, agreement. Matthew 18, verse 19. This is Jesus instructing his disciples. He says, again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. What Jesus is teaching us is he's teaching us there's power, not just in private times of prayer, but in corporate times of prayer. It's an essential ingredient to the church. It's one of the four things that the early church was devoted to. They were devoted to the preaching of the word, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. That is the corporate times of prayer. If you've been maybe even holding on to something that that you've been praying for personally, I would invite you, maybe even challenge you to have other people partner with you, to link arms with you in prayer. This is why we make a big deal out of filling out connect cards on a weekly basis. We make a big deal out of inviting people down to the front on a weekly basis, to invite others into your walk with God. The early church was devoted to this kind of prayer, and I think we would see more power in prayer if we were to actually pray as a community, not just in our typical American fashion, which is as individuals. Number two, faith. Jesus says, whatever you ask in prayer, you will receive, and many people stop right there. But what does he say at the end? If you have faith, if you have faith, This is the idea of if you have confidence or boldness that God will answer your prayer. That friend in the parable that Jesus says, he's knocking on the door, he knows that his friend has the loaves of bread in his pantry. If he wasn't sure of it and the friend said, sorry, I don't have any bread, he probably would have given up and gone home or gone to the next house where he was more certain that they had bread. But he's like, I was at your house yesterday. You've got the bread right? I'm going to keep knocking. You've got the bread. And this idea of faith is believing that prayer is not a shot in the dark. Do you remember who you're talking to? The creator of the universe. He has the power to answer any prayer, no matter how audacious, no matter how big. Prayer is not a last resort. It is a first 
response. That's what it means to pray in faith. Our faith is in confidence in who God is and his power. Number three, we're going to pray in Jesus' name. Jesus says in John 14, 13, whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Now, this is pretty familiar to us to pray in Jesus' name, amen. And uh, for, for many of us, we, we pray that way, but we don't really know kind of what we're saying when we pray that way. It's more of a, a tradition or a custom to pray in the name of Jesus. And there's nothing wrong with praying in Jesus' name. We're told by Jesus to pray in his name. Uh, Pete Gregg, in his book on prayer, he explains the idea like this. To pray in the name of Jesus means asking for the things that are consistent with his character and aligned with his purpose. So what that means is when you say in Jesus' name that you have full confidence that everything you listed off in your prayer to the creator of the universe is the same kind of thing that Jesus would be praying if he was in your shoes. Jesus had an earthly ministry that lasted just over three years. What we fail to realize is he's had an intercessory ministry that's lasted the last 2,000 years. It's one of the things that Jesus is doing at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for the church. And if you have that picture in mind, maybe ask yourself this question, would Jesus be praying that I would get a Ferrari? Like genuinely, if I were to be, and, and do I have confidence enough to, to, to link Jesus's name, his character and his purpose with the kinds of things that I'm praying for? And if not, then it's just an abuse of the name of Jesus, which is taking the Lord's name in vain, which is one of the Ten Commandments. So it's actually a pretty serious deal to pray ungodly things in the name of Jesus Christ. And that should sober us up in the way that we pray. Number four, we're going to pray abiding in Christ. In John 15, 7, Jesus says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Once again, people often quote, Jesus said, ask for whatever you want and it will be done for you. But he said, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. That if language is a conditional clause. Uh, what does it mean to abide in Christ? It means to be saved by God's grace through faith. It means to be one of God's people. Uh, Prayer is the language of God's people. And uh, it, for us, we just have to acknowledge that, that God hears the prayers of his people who are chosen and saved and forgiven and he showered grace upon. Not just that God is going to answer every prayer of every human being regardless of what gods they worship. Does that make sense? Why would God answer the prayers of someone who does not actually call him God or worship him as Lord and Savior? So that's what it means to abide in Christ. It means that you have a saving faith. Uh, but then Jesus says, and my words abide in you. And what that means is it means that we're so familiar with God's word and his teaching that his word is rooted and grounded in our hearts. A great practice for praying in this kind of abiding way is to actually pray scripture to know scripture so well that it actually shows up in your prayers. Now, God doesn't need to be reminded of what scripture says. He's so much smarter than us. He wrote scripture inspired by the Holy Spirit, and yet there is power in bringing up reminders from scripture and promises from scripture to inform the way that we pray. You see this all over the Bible. 
where people are calling on God to fulfill his promises. That's what it means to pray the words of Christ and to have those words abiding in you. Number five, we're going to pray selfless prayers, not selfish prayers. James, the brother of Jesus, says uh, this in James 4, 2 through 3. You do not have because you do not ask. So that's the idea of unasked prayers, not necessarily unanswered prayers. But then he says this, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Now, I have to be careful. James is not saying that it's wrong to pray for yourself. He's certainly not saying that. Jesus teaches us to pray for our daily needs, even even things as simple as our daily bread. But how often are our prayers only about ourselves? I mean, just wrestle with that. How, How often have you gotten done with an entire session of prayer, and the only kinds of requests you were making were petitions, which are prayers for yourself, and we've completely neglected the very important practice of intercessory prayer. Intercessory prayer is praying for others. Do you remember the, the parable, the friend at midnight? He go, he, one of the reasons he has boldness in going to his neighbor's house is not because he's hungry, it's because who's hungry? His, his house guest, his unexpected house guest. So Jesus is teaching us to have maybe even perhaps more boldness in intercessory prayer praying for the needs of others, praying for the world, praying for the lost. And so for us to, to pray in a selfless way means that we, we consistently and intentionally look for ways to join with the rest of the church in intercession. Number six, obedience. First John chapter three, verse 22. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. Now, I'm not trying to, to teach you that, that God is like Santa Claus. He knows when you've been naughty. He knows when you've been nice and you're either gonna get a lump of coal or a present. That's not the way it works in the kingdom of heaven. Uh, God is not karma. It's not like you, you, what goes around comes around. But the reality is, there, this is not a, maybe a frequently taught aspect of prayer. God does not bless disobedience. He, he just doesn't. God doesn't bless disobedience. And even if you are a, you're abiding in Christ in the sense that you're saved by grace through faith, but there's unconfessed, unrepented of sin in your life, I'm just gonna tell you that may be hindering your prayers it may very well be hindering your prayers. I wonder how much of the time when, when we're in that situation that we're praying these, these lists of requests and God is looking at us and he's saying, the, the thing that you really need to be praying is that daily prayer from the Lord's prayer. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And he's inviting us. I mean, think about that, that analogy of a parent whose child is just, you know, they've wronged their sibling in a pretty grievous way. And instead of acknowledging that, they're, they're totally ignoring the parents saying, well, for, okay, I want to give you yogurt, but you just smacked your sibling. So we've got priorities here. Does that make sense? And this is the idea that God never, you can read the whole Bible. I, I've never, according to God's character, he never blesses disobedience. I mean, sometimes good things happen to, to wicked people in this world. I can tell you, it's not God blessing those people in this world. God never blesses disobedience. Number seven, okay? This is just the seventh one I came up with. I believe there's probably more, but this is the seventh one. We're gonna pray according to God's will. 1 John 5, 14. And this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. 
And John goes on to write that if he hears our requests, we have already received what we have asked. And uh, so, so th- there's this reality that if you want to make sure that your, your prayers make it to the throne room of God and God considers those things, then we should actually seek to pray according to God's will. Now, here's a really frustrating thing about this list of seven things. Even if you follow this list perfectly, you, t- you tick every box and you pray in the right way, in the right posture, in the right heart, and you do everything right, God still may not answer your prayer. And that might be a very frustrating thing for for us to wrestle with, that at the end of the day, God has a plan for this world and for your life, and if the thing that we're praying for is not in alignment with that, he won't answer that prayer. Jesus prays confidently in the Garden of Gethsemane. He prays in faith. He begins the prayer, Father, everything is possible for you. That's confidence in prayer. And if you are wrestling with the concept of unanswered prayer, maybe you would find peace in the fact that even Jesus Christ has an unanswered prayer. He begins with, Father, everything is possible for you. He lets his request be made known boldly before God, Please take this cup from me. But at the end of the prayer, how does he finish? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And uh, the reality is, for for us, I mean, that's one of the most difficult ways to pray, the Gethsemane pray, and yet that's one of the most honest ways to pray and to wrestle with these tensions of unanswered prayer in our lives. Let's continue. Jesus is going to give us a a, a metaphor for us to think about when we pray. In Matthew 7, verse 9. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? That's a snake. Uh, If you then, who are evil, a little bit of a backhanded Bible verse there from Jesus. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven... Give good things to those who ask him. This is the third time we've seen the same kind of teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is trying to drive home this very important point that God is a good father. That God is a good father. And he's not a practical joker. He's not a cosmic prankster. You know, it's this kind of, again, this absurd kind of illustration of even us, who Jesus says are evil, right? No one is good but God alone, right? And so, so for us, even in our sin, I mean, even, I would say even like wicked people on this earth, on this planet, and their children, if they ask them for some bread to eat, I mean, how messed up would that be to be like, yeah, here's some bread, and they take a bite, and it's actually a stone, and it breaks their teeth? I mean, who, who would do that? Or, you know, if to use the fish. I mean, they're like, oh, I could really use a tuna sandwich. And like, here's a sandwich. Snake, right? Like, oh, it bites you. And she's like, oh, come on. Like, God's not doing that. He's not a prankster. He's not trying to pull practical jokes. He's not intentionally giving you harmful or destructive things. And this is difficult for us to, to, to wrestle with when we go through trials and suffering. But the reality is one of the first things that we have a tendency to do is doubt God's goodness, doubt that he cares. And I just want to tell you that is a lie as old as sin itself. In Genesis 3, that's part of the enemy's plan of attack. 
is God really good? Did God really say, trying to get us to doubt God's character? And there's a difference between questioning God's character and just asking God a question. I want to encourage you to wrestle with God, to bring your doubts, your tensions, your questions to him. But we must be really careful not to question that God is a good father and he still loves us. Tim Keller says it like this in his book on prayer. God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knows. Think about that for a moment. That God's thoughts are higher than your thoughts. His ways are higher than your ways. And even when God allows us to face trials and suffering in our lives, this this age-old problem of pain, we have to recognize that God knows more than us. Uh, Sometimes, if we're honest with ourselves, one of the biggest problems with unanswered prayer is simply the perspective that we assume everything that we ask is God's will. When it just is not the case. I mean, think about this. A child who asks for a stone or asks for a snake. I mean, that's, that's a little bit silly, but I, again, I've got tiny children, and I cannot tell you how many times I've had to fish hook something out of my, my children's esophagus because they ate something that they shouldn't have. And what, and what happens, right? What happens? I see my daughter, uh, you know, rolling around on the ground, putting something, putting a rock in her mouth, and I'm like, ah, and I take it out. What happens? She starts to cry. Give me my stone back. And I'm like, this is not good. But she still doesn't understand, right? And we have a difficult time recognizing that. But that can be us sometimes. We don't understand why. But God still says no. I think another aspect of this lies uh, in, what, in, in this uh, lines from Richard Foster in his book on prayer. He says, part of the answer, he's talking about the answer to unanswered prayer, lies in the fact that frequently we hold on so tightly to the good we know that we cannot receive the greater good that we do not know. God has to help us let go of our tiny vision in order to release the greater good he has in store for us. We have to admit that God's perspective and God's promises span much longer than this present age. And so often, the things that make it into our prayers are only things that impact this lifetime. Uh, Jesus is already, in Matthew chapter 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, he's already spoken to us about not relying on earthly treasure, but actually seeking out heavenly treasure, things that actually last. Uh, How many of our prayers were only asking for present blessings? And yet, in Ephesians chapter 1, Paul has taught us that we already have, in Christ Jesus, every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms. And so even if we don't get that request, even if that prayer goes on on unanswered, as heartbreaking and devastating at times as those are, if you're in Christ Jesus, then you still have eternal life. Then you still have a life and a hope that spans beyond this present age. Uh, Jesus, in the parallel, in Luke chapter 11, there's a, there's a significant substitute that I think helps inform how we should read Matthew chapter 7. It says this in Luke 11, chapter, uh, chapter 11, verse 13. Let's see if you can spot the substitution. Little hint. I underlined it on the screen. Okay. <laughs> if you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the what? Holy Spirit to those who ask him. 
I think that's, we have to be really careful interpreting Jesus' words from Matthew chapter 7 as this blank check and God will answer every prayer. I think primarily the prayer that God wants to answer is the prayer to put your faith in Jesus Christ to receive the forgiveness of sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when you have the Holy Spirit, so many blessings flow out of that. I mean, you've been sealed for the day of redemption. You can be certain of eternal life. You have a hope even after death. The Holy Spirit grows fruit in your life. He'll make you more like Christ. The Holy Spirit will empower you for the sake of ministry, to share the gospel, to find purpose and meaning beyond the purpose and meaning that this world has to offer. I mean, the Holy Spirit is going to give you spiritual gifts. The Holy Spirit... It's going to be God's tangible presence every day of your life. Here's the point that I think Jesus is making. God is the greatest gift. God himself is the greatest gift. And all other gifts and blessings flow out of having Christ Jesus as your Lord, out of having a relationship that's been severed with sin that can be reconciled through the gospel. And the gospel is the good news that you don't have to earn it. You don't have to repair that relationship yourself because the work has been accomplished for you on your behalf when Christ Jesus, who's the Son of God, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for the sins of the world, and rose back and defeated the grave. And uh, I'm here to tell you, if you've never responded to the good news of the gospel, I want to challenge you, maybe before you even pray another prayer, the most important prayer that you could pray is to pray and ask God to forgive your sins and to lead your life. I mean, even salvation, as great as a gift as this is, is not a gift that God just bestows on every single person on the planet unconditionally. He invites us to receive that by calling on his name. Romans 10, verse 13, Paul writes, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so the the most important prayer that you could pray in your life is that initial prayer of faith where you call on the name of Christ Jesus and you ask God to forgive your sin and to lead your life. And uh, I want to invite you, if you've never responded to the gospel, today can be the day. During During the last song of worship... You can come forward. You can, you can pray with a member of our prayer team. We would love to uh, invite you to receive salvation today as you call on the name of the Lord. And while your walk with God may begin with that very first prayer, Jesus instructs us also to call on his name through baptism. Baptism is this expected step from Christ Jesus where uh, you declare your faith in Jesus through getting dunked under the water and being raised back to life, and it's associating and identifying with the work of Jesus in the gospel. We've got church in the park, and every single Sunday, I'm excited to be talking to people after service who are just saying, I've been thinking about this, praying about this for a while, and I'm, I'm I'm taking the plunge on September 4th, and I just want to invite you. If God is stirring in your heart, and maybe even just recently you've put your faith in Jesus to get baptized, you can learn more about baptism. You can sign up at our website, hillcityboise.org slash baptism, or even if you've been following Jesus for years, but you've never done so through baptism, I want to invite you to get baptized September 4th at the park. That's the most important prayer that anyone can pray, is calling on the name of the Lord and receiving salvation from him. Here are three things as we wrap up 
that I want to invite you to add to your prayer list. We've talked a lot about how we approach God in prayer, but I want to talk, I just want to end with three, and these are all three things from scripture, so I want to kind of model for you what it means to pray scripture back to God and to allow scripture to inform even the things that make it on your weekly prayer list. I've been praying these three things all week, and I want to challenge you maybe every day this week to pray these three things. Will you do it, church? That was pretty weak. Will you pray these three things this week? There we go. Colossians 1, verse 9. Paul is telling the church he's been praying for them. He says this, And so, from the day we heard, that's he heard about the faith of the, the church in Colossae, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Here's the first thing to add to your prayer list. Pray for knowledge. Not just book knowledge. We're not talking about pray that you would get a higher IQ. We're talking about spiritual wisdom and understanding. I mean, imagine how the world would change if Christians legitimately on a daily basis prayed that they would hear the Holy Spirit, that they would have wisdom in how to live and how to conduct their lives. We need the Holy Spirit. One of the good gifts that the Holy Spirit gives us is when he lives in our lives, he instructs us in the truth. He shows us how to follow Jesus properly and how to walk in the truth. He renews our mind. How do you think we experience the transformation of the renewing of the mind? The Holy Spirit, through the word, but also just through his presence in our lives, renews our mind on a daily basis. So we're going to pray for spiritual wisdom and understanding, but there's also this idea of knowledge, not just, not, not just wisdom knowledge, but also relational knowledge. The knowledge of God is, is knowing God. No matter where you are in your walk with God, you can get deeper in your walk with God. You can know him more. I mean, I think that's what we're going to be doing in eternity, is knowing God on a deeper level every single day, forever. And uh, can you imagine how different your relationship with God would be if on a daily basis you, you, you kept asking, you kept seeking, you kept knocking, God, give me spiritual wisdom and understanding. Help me know you more today. I mean, that's, that's a prayer request worth showing up on your prayer list. Paul goes on in Colossians 1 verse 10. He says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Here's the second thing we're going to pray for this week. Are we going to pray for it this week? Are you going to do it? Okay. I wasn't convinced the first time. Pray for knowledge and we're going to pray for fruit. Pray for fruit. Not like apples and bananas. We're talking about the fruit of the spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Galatians 5, that, that passage is worth memorizing for the sole reason that you can pray for those things consistently. Are you praying that God would grow spiritual fruit in your life, that you would be conformed more and more day after day into the image of his son, Jesus? Would the church be different if every single Christian prayed that they would grow the fruit of the spirit on a daily basis? If they kept asking, they kept seeking, they kept knocking, these are the kinds of things we've got to pray for if you want to see renewal in our lives and revival in our world. Pray for fruit. So we're going to pray for that internal character change, sanctification. That's going to mean, by the way, I just got to warn you, it's going to mean you're going to be convicted for your sin if you're praying for the fruit of the Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit's going to show you ways that you need to grow, areas of growth, those blind spots we were talking about. Uh, but you're going to pray for the, the fruit of the Spirit, and you're going to pray for a fruitful life. Bearing fruit for good works is how Paul puts it in Colossians 1.10. That God would use your life to make a difference for the gospel, for the kingdom of heaven. 
You're going to pray that you would see the good works that Christ Jesus has prepared for you in advance, that you would walk in them, and that you're going to actually seek to do them. There's where the action comes in. You see that? You're going to not just like pray that God would use you to make an impact, and then you never, you're never obedient to what the Holy Spirit is calling you to do. You're going to pray for fruit, and then you're going to walk by the Holy Spirit. It's going to be steps of faith and boldness that the Holy Spirit is going to call you to. Colossians 1.11. Here's the third thing we're going to pray for. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might, for all endurance and patience with joy. The third thing that we're going to pray for this week is we're going to pray for power. We're going to pray for power. We're going to remember the the God of the universe is the one we're talking to. And we're going to pray that God would strengthen us to live the life that he has for us. I mean, I think that's one of the prayers we often neglect when we're going through trials. We pray for the trial to end, but often I think we, we neglect to pray for power and strength to endure the trial. And I would encourage you not to stray away from praying that whatever trial or suffering you're in would end, but I would also encourage you to pray for the power of the Holy Spirit to strengthen you to walk through whatever fire God is taking you through. And then I also think of Acts chapter 1, verse 8, where one of the, the, the ways the Holy Spirit blesses his disciples is Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. So one of the ways that the Holy Spirit empowers us is he gives us boldness and courage to walk in the good works and to make a difference for him. So we're going to pray for knowledge. Who, who took notes? The second thing, we're going to pray for fruit, and then we're going to pray for power this week. One last thing, remember to give thanks. We've talked a lot about asking God for things. We also want to have a heart of gratitude. Thank God when he does answer the prayers. Um, Let's not be like the lepers who get the healing and they don't go back to Jesus. Let's be like the one who returns and says, thank you. I mean, even if we never got another prayer answered, if you still have Jesus, then you have Jesus. And you have eternal life. So we're going we're gonna to actually close with a time of corporate prayer. That's really what the Lord's Supper is. Uh, if you did not receive the communion elements on the way in, and you're a follower of Jesus, and you want to uh, pray during this time, just raise your hand, and an usher can get you the bread and the cup. And let's spend this time in remembrance giving thanks. I want to end just by reading Colossians 1, 12 through 14. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to the Hill City Church Podcast. You can find out more about our church at hillcityboise.org. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Hill City Boise. We hope this teaching has encouraged you and helps you follow Jesus with everything.